This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good afternoon, dear listeners. This is my 60th show. Welcome! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio. This is Teacher's Talk Radio and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It is 5pm on Sunday the 18th of February 2024 and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic which is engaging learners at all phases of their language learning journey. Welcome! So good late afternoon and early evening, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my, ta-da, 60th show as your hostess on Teachers Talk Radio. And I'm very excited to share this experience in your company. Um, First, I have to introduce myself for any new potential listener. I am Maud, French citizen of French and West African ancestry, having been living in the UK since August 2008. I'm a professional educator working in the secondary state school in North London, where I teach mostly languages. I also have experience as a kindergarten teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on X, Twitter, at ProfProfMFL. All views are my own. So today, I just want to celebrate, to be honest, I've been on holiday for half term and today is a big anniversary with Teachers Talk Radio. So I'm in a jolly good mood. Um, Today's topic is about what I do on a daily basis at work and at home because I'm obviously a language teacher but I'm also a parent with multilingual children. So I kind of know what I'm talking about when it's about learning a language. So today's discussion will be about engaging learners at all phases of their language learning journey. This is mostly relevant to anyone who speaks a language, anyone who speaks more than one language, teachers, educators, parents of children who are educated in the state school system and the private school system for that matter, the curious and savvy, and also people who believe that education is a lifelong journey. So, because I'm a very dedicated teacher, this week I didn't just enjoy my holiday, but I also went to Oxford on Friday, because on Friday the 16th of February, there was a meeting at the Department of Education at the University of Oxford. This was organized by a charity, the AWL, 
Association for Language Learning, of which I'm a member. And it was also uh, funded by the Department for Education and the University of Oxford. This was obviously meant for teachers, student teachers, and people who work in a university. The point of the, the conference was to allow teachers and educators to talk together, but also to hear new ideas about how to motivate people who are starting or in the middle of their learning journey towards acquiring a language. There were several speakers. I was a speaker as well, but I'm not going to talk about my work on decolonizing today because it's about something else. Today I want to focus on how to nurture the love for languages. Because in England, it's a difficult task. Um, we suffer from a language deficit in the UK. Only 8% of people living in the UK can speak and write in more than one language. Whereas in other countries such as Luxembourg, um, Switzerland and other European countries and many African and Asian countries, people can talk in different languages, two, three or four on top of the official language. So we are definitely not doing well in the UK for speaking languages or writing them for that matter. So the point of that conference was to talk about how to make it happen more in the UK. There was a speaker, a very um, famous speaker in the, the field of language education and she was Susan Graham. So Susan Graham wanted to talk about how we can support students when they change, and it's a big change, when they leave primary school and when they first go to secondary school. So it was about that transition, which is a very difficult time. If you remember when you were little and you had to go to big school, or if you have children who have done this journey. So Susan Graham, is a professor of language and education. She's been working at the University of Reading for a few years, and she's involved um, at the Center for Literacy and Multilingualism. She speaks French and German on top of English. Now, she wanted to work on how to um, nurture the love of languages because it starts officially in KS2, in primary school. We have a government that wants all children in KS2 to have um, access to learning a language. Now, if we look at how um, classroom-based research has been done over the years on this school transition and on motivation, we know exactly how to make a good transition for our students when they leave primary school and when they go to secondary school. If we ask anyone, the first answer will be, how do you make a child happy to learn a language and transition to secondary school? Well, you're going you're gonna to answer, uh, if the ch if the child can choose the language they want to learn, that would make them definitely a bit more motivated. Then you would say, if the child has already learned a language in primary school, um, making them feel like they've done a good job and that we are valuing what they already know is always very good. And also making sure they feel safe in their new school and that they feel like they can experiment without being mocked or belittled. So choice, um, promotion of what they know already, and feeling safe. That is essential for any subject. Now, the research 
that Susan Graham has done over the years and other uh, teachers who looked into that transition has also uh, highlighted a few very important aspects of language learning going from case two to case three. And uh, Susan Graham used a very interesting um, image uh, because she speaks German. She mentioned a German word that I'm going to pronounce and butcher because I'm not a German speaker. So she mentioned Seltanzen. So Seltanzen, spelled S-E-I-L-T-A-N-Z-E-N, means um, walking on a tightrope in order to avoid a difficult terrain. But in the um, German word, there's a connotation that you are dancing on a tightrope. Whereas the translation of this Seltanzen in English would be walking on a tightrope. And uh, Susan Graham says we need to try and follow the German word because in the idea of dancing on a tightrope, when you dance, you feel light, you are empowered and you're enjoying the movement and the journey. So we want to dance on a tightrope in the German way compared to walking on a tightrope in the English way. So an excellent transition for children leaving primary school and going to secondary school would be them enjoying that dancing on a tightrope. How do you make a good transition according to Susan Graham and research based uh, on classroom is um, having proficiency. So a positivity because the students have been learning enough in primary school and feel equipped to learn more in secondary school. So there's been reports and surveys over the years. Um, we are referring to quite an old survey now from uh, 2012, which was done by the Nuffield French, um, so the Nuffield Foundation, and it was a French project. So in that project, there were 250 students who were interviewed and they were asked what their experience of moving from primary to secondary school had been. And we wanted to also measure their ability, but also their relationship, their rapport to the French language. Why French? Well, because it's still one of the most commonly um, taught languages in the UK, even though it's losing places with Spanish taking over slowly. Um, but what the report from the Nuffield uh, Foundation noticed is that the amount of time spent in primary school learning French and the teacher proficiency, the one who was teaching French, has a massive impact on a good transition. So more than anything, if the students have done a lot of French in primary and if their teacher was a professional uh, French teacher and not just a classroom, um, case to classroom teacher, the children would enjoy their transition more. Um, it seems that still we have a bit of a problem with motivation because in that survey made in 2012, 19% of the children in year six didn't want to learn French. So whether it was because it was French or whether it was because it was a second language, 20% of the children didn't want to do it, which is never a good sign, in my opinion, when you start with so many people not really interested in doing the task. 
what we noticed when we talk to children and we when we assess their abilities is that they need to be good in their first language first. So it means that if they struggle with English in the first place, if they don't like reading, if their mastery of English is low, they're never going to enjoy learning another language and they're going to struggle doing it. So we have a bit of an issue when we have a low reading age in um, year six. And now after the transition in year seven, only 41% of children felt they could do well in learning a language. So almost half of the students didn't feel like they were able to do it. They suffered from a lack of self-trust and a lack of self-esteem. And at the end of year seven, this cohort who were interviewed and assessed said they felt that there was a sense of stagnation and that they didn't really um, have the desire and the trust that they could do well in learning a language. So big problem with low confidence and um, a feeling of low ability. And also when they were interviewed, the children said they didn't like revising and that they didn't want to do difficult tasks. So there's no appetite to challenge oneself or to do all the groundwork at home in order to master the language. So this is a bit of a deadly cocktail. A lot of children were not interested in learning the language in the first place. A lot of them had low self-confidence and a lot of them had low motivation and um, didn't really want to put in the work that was uh, necessary. So when we listen at the we listen to the children's voices, we can see that eighty nine percent of them preferred learning in year seven once they reach big school compared to when they were in primary school. So this raises a few questions. What is going wrong in primary school? Is it because it's seen as an option, something we squeeze in on a Friday from 3 to 3.30? Is it because the primary school teachers do not feel confident in their own language skills? Is it because this is not valued by society in general? Is it because the teachers in secondary school are professional language teachers and then there's a big difference in the way students uh, relate to these um, lessons in um, year seven? Is it content? Is it proficiency? We don't really know, but many factors are at play. What we know is when we ask the students, they prefer their lessons in year seven and they always want more action in the lessons more group work, more activities, more games, more fun. So that is definitely something we need to have in mind when we think about a transition. We need to keep the fun, keep the, the games, keep the group work in the secondary school setting, which is a little bit difficult because um, we don't always have the space and the resources and the time to put that in place when we are teaching in a secondary school setting. One of the most worrying aspects uh, that I discovered when I listened to Susan Graham um, on Friday at the conference is that she quoted um, a, a new piece of research made by Laura Mulway, 
which is very, very recent because it's from 2021. And Laura Mulway realized when she interviewed children that they felt a strong sense of disconnection with their French teacher. It's not about the French teacher being uh, an English citizen or a French citizen. It's got nothing to do with the nationality of the French teacher. It's just that a lot of the students believed when they were asked, do you feel that your French teacher knows what is important to you? Most of the children in year eight disagreed with that statement. So there's um, a bit of an issue there. I don't know if it's better in other subjects, but there was an issue of relatedness. Now, if we look at intrinsic motivation, to be a good student, a child needs to be feeling competent. Uh, the child needs to feel like they have autonomy, that they can make choices and that their choices are respected. But they also need to have that feeling that they can relate to the content they're learning, but also to the person who is delivering the content. And here, the teacher. They need to feel valued. They need to have um, instances where they experience success. So when they feel like the tasks they're given are possible for them to achieve. And this is quite difficult to have because the exams and the expectations in secondary schools are really, really high. And in my humble opinion, they're higher than what the children can achieve in uh, the normal state school setting. There is a lovely sentence by a um, researcher called Claire Kramsch, K-R-A-M-S-C-H. Uh, it's quite an old statement, it's from the 90s, 1995, but she said, what is important to motivate a child in their learning is that they have the chance to experience, and I quote, little epiphanies experienced along the way, unquote. That's a beautiful sentence. So a child is going to enjoy their learning experience, their learning journey, if they have little epiphanies along the way. And for that, they need to feel successful, valued, related to, they need to feel empowered by choice, and they need to feel autonomous, and they need to feel competent. Are we succeeding in this? Well, according to Laura Mulway's research in 2021, not so much um, because of that disconnection that was felt with French teachers. So this is giving me fruitful thoughts. How can I make my students feel more um, connected to me in my classroom? And how can they feel more related to what I'm doing? So what should we be doing to make the transition between primary school to secondary school more ple pleasurable and pleasant for the students. Well, first, we need to look back at what goes on in primary school, and we, we need to have the best conditions for learning in primary school. Now, for a language, it means having trained teachers, having enough resources, and having enough time to teach this language, whatever language it is and I'm not uh, preaching for my own parish here. It could be Spanish, it could be Russian, it could be Mandarin, it could be any other language, as long as it's done with professional teachers, 
with enough resource and with enough time. So this is the first step, making sure primary school language teaching is efficient. Now, we also need to boost motivation in order to get real progress. To boost motivation, we need a cultural shift. Too many people in the UK believe that English is enough. We should not accept this status quo. English is a wonderful language. I learned it and I love it and I enjoy using it every day. But this is not enough. Most humans on this planet speak more than one language. Speaking only one language is actually not a good sign. But don't fret, monolingualism can be cured. In order to make sure that our students feel motivated enough, feel successful enough, we need to align our goals and expectations with our needs. Which means maybe we need to reconsider what is expected of students at the end of their secondary school. Are we asking for students to know too much in too little time? When we think about the content of the GCSE exam in languages and the way they're marked, they're marked extremely harshly, and they've always been for the last 20 years, there is a huge discrepancy between the competences that the children have statewide and then the expectations that the state has for them. So a realignment is necessary. Now, the other very important thing we need to think about is that no one can be good at a second language if they're not good enough in their first language. So to improve a second language, we need to have students who leave primary school able to read fluently and to write fluently in English. And if we look at the status quo, well, too many children in state schools are not able to read and write proficiently at the end of year six. What could we do to help this? Extra literacy, extra funding, extra targeted funding, and maybe extra support where it's the most needed. And finally, a positive discourse in the family unit about language learning. Too often, I talk to people in the UK who see a language as just an aside, an option, or maybe just something that middle-class people do. This is the wrong uh, mindset. Another language is a wealth. It's a bonus. It's a chance. It should be something we all strive for. If I could get a pound for every time I've met someone in the UK who told me, oh, I wasn't good in languages at school. I wish I had worked more on it because now I would love to speak another language when I go abroad on holiday. I would be rich if I got a pound every time I've heard this. So we need to rethink the way we teach. It's not working. After five years learning a language, most students I meet in year 11 are unable to have a simple conversation with me. I'm not talking about something difficult, just bouncing back a few questions. How are you feeling today? How is how is school going? Um, what do you want to do later on? They are not able to do that. Most of the students I teach are not able to do that. So there's an issue with the way we teach languages, with when we start teaching languages, in and also in how people, the man in the street, 
the woman in the supermarket see language learning. Too often, this is not valued. So a cultural shift is needed and it needs to start from nursery, I would say. Uh, we need more studies about what stops children from learning, but we already know a lot. We know it's about um, the family environment. We know it's about financial and time resources. We know it's about lack of expectations, lack of opportunities, and also lack of uh, professional teachers. And there is a teacher, MFL, Modern Languages uh, teacher deficit at the moment. There's less and less and less students taking a language for their A-levels, which makes it obvious that there's less and less students learning a language at university, and then there's less language students trying to do a teaching qualification at university. So we will have less and less teachers teaching languages as a whole. Um, what I want to insist on, and this is something that I try to do in my uh, school, is to improve oracy and literacy, because they go together. And I'm not talking about oracy and literacy in French, I'm talking about oracy and literacy in English. Developing good English skills are essential before we even think about adding a second language. And to develop oracy, it is really important that we increase reading, that we use dictation as a task and as a skill, that we use listening, and that we promote writing via maybe competitions or uh, school whole school approach projects. Definition of oracy. What is oracy? Well, oracy um, is a very ancient art. The Romans and the Greek were doing our oracy challenges themselves, but the term oracy now as we know it is from 1960s and it was developed by Andrew Wilkinson. He described oracy as the ability to express oneself fluently and then to communicate effectively with other people. It's not just being grammatically correct. Oracy is also about how we speak and how we express ourselves. In order to make children more um, proficient in oracy in the UK, in the state school system, and that applies as well for the private school system, we need to teach them how to read and we need to teach them how to read in order for them to understand what they read. That's the first step. Then the second step is making them able to talk about what they've read, to talk about the feelings they had once they read. And storytelling is an amazing tool for this, whether it's oral storytelling or it's uh, reading with storybooks. Storytelling should be at the cornerstone of any lesson plan from primary to secondary. Because storytelling nurtures empathy. If you can read a book about someone else's life, you can walk in their shoes for a while and you can understand them. You exercise empathy by reading books. The key areas of focus when we do um, work on storytelling in primary and in secondary are working on a dictionary of emotions, which is extremely helpful for us as humans because we are social animals. Children need to understand 
and read emotions in others. Um, I would say anyone should use uh, the emotional wheel. If you uh, use a search engine on the internet, you can type emotional wheel, W-H-E-E-L, and then you will have um, a, use, a huge amount of adjectives to describe how you feel. I would advise any teachers to give the emotional wheel to their students and to ask them uh, when they do the register at the beginning of a lesson, how they are feeling. In order to for every child to just stop and pause and ask themselves, how am I feeling today? And then to find an adjective that describes their emotions. It's a way to reconnect with who you are and your emotions and to express themselves. And too many students do not know how to express their own emotions. It starts with labeling the emotion. If you're able to notice that you're feeling angry or that you're feeling hungry or that you're feeling sad, this is the first step towards working on it and alleviating um, the emotion if it's overwhelming. So working on emotional um, empathy, working on uh, labeling emotions, but also on uh, the characters in the story and identifying how the characters are faring. This is essential as a social skill in schools. So a dictionary of emotion is also something we should all have in our classroom. Um, there is an Oxford-based reading program which was developed by Susan Graham, which is called Fleur, F-L-E-U-R. This is a French word to mean flower. And Fleur is a, a French reading program that is targeted at, at year seven students. Um, it's about using, um, so Fleur stands for foreign language education uh, in order to unlock reading. It's about using reading and storybooks as a basis to teach a language. Uh, it's, it's also linked to um, the idea developed by the Empathy Lab and it's work based on storybooks. We ask students to read storybooks, we ask them to describe the feelings of the characters and then to describe their feelings when they read the story in the storybook. I think it's a great program and it should be more popular in year seven, but it should also be used uh, in primary school for uh, English storybooks. In order to um, talk about nurturing the language learning journey, we need to talk about multilingualism, but I will broach that subject after the news because it's time for us to listen to the news, dear listeners. So I'll see you straight after the news. Thank you. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. 
Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our Study Skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. We have featured the issue of overseas students applying to UK universities a number of times on Teachers Talk Radio News. This year's application figures have recently been released. An analysis by the BBC shows the numbers are up for the second year in a row. The latest data shows over 115,000 students from outside the UK have applied, up almost 1,000 on last year. The rise comes despite tougher government rules to help reduce migration. It also follows accusations that universities have lowered standards to recruit overseas students, who can be charged more than students from the UK. Despite the rise, the number remains below pre-pandemic levels. UCAS Chief Executive Dr Joe Saxton said UK applications have also risen in recent years. However, Vivian Stern, Chief Executive of Universities UK, said the figures did not tell the whole story, as applications do not always translate into enrolments. She said that any future fall in enrolments could make it more difficult for universities to offer places to home students due to the financial impact. Ms Stern went on to explain that UK universities may be less appealing to overseas students due to policy changes around bringing family competition from universities in the US and Australia, and unhelpful government rhetoric. Full details of the story can be found on the BBC News website. The Mathematical Association's Twitter feed draws attention to changes announced by government on maths and English condition of funding for 16 to 19-year-old learners. The changes, which can be found on the government website, include minimum teaching hours for full-time students, saying that there should be three hours per week for English and four hours per week for maths. It also states this should be standalone, whole class, in-person teaching. The extra hour reflects the existing expectation should be prioritised to ensure students receive a standard number of taught hours. Compliance will be measured for the academic year 2025 to 26. Full details of the impact on funding and other changes can be found on www.gov.uk. The post on Twitter did prompt renewed concerns about maths teacher recruitment and timetabling issues. FE Week also featured a story on the changes, calling them unworkable and a backward step. Wales Online features a story about languages teaching and qualifications, but not in the way you might expect. Whilst the Welsh National Party have long campaigned for increasing Welsh language teaching, members of the Wales Somaliland community are urging the Welsh Government to include a GCSE in Somali language in the new Welsh curriculum. The community is writing to Education Minister Jeremy Miles to explain the importance of this to the 15,000 strong Somaliland community. 
saying it is important for young people to recognise and gain qualifications in their language and heritage. Community activist Ali Abdi said it was important that the large number of Somali pupils studying Welsh secondary schools learned their mother tongue and be recognised for their linguistic and cultural heritage. According to Mr Abdi, introducing a Somali GCSE aligns with the Welsh Government's commitment to diversity, equality and social justice. Finally, the BBC reports on research which has examined children's attitudes towards the monarchy. The outcome of the research suggests more support for the royals among state schools than in private ones. The study by King's College London found 66% of children in state schools aged 6 to 12 had a positive view of the monarchy, compared with 56% in private. It also found higher levels of support among children than among teens and young adults. The findings were based on questions for 2,000 pupils across 200 schools. The findings on primary school children in England, Scotland and Wales were in stark contrast to the views of young adults, with a YouGov twice yearly poll showing only 27% of 18 to 24 year olds saw the monarchy as good for Britain. The researchers said the primary children responding to questions around the monarchy had said it made them feel happy, excited or proud. Researchers could not explain the difference between state and private, but suggested it could reflect higher levels of international pupils in the private school sample meaning they could have less of a connection to the British royal family. Further details of the research and its findings, as well as comparisons with other studies, can be found on the BBC News website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox. So this was a very interesting um, piece of news um, about the Somali language being uh, offered for the GCSE in uh, Wales. I think it's brilliant. Um, I'm trying to promote um, my students with EAL, so students with English as an additional language. And it's always um, really, really frustrating when I have students who ask me, oh, can I do my GCSE in Cantonese? Can I do my GCSE in uh, Arabic? Uh, can I do my GCSE in Ukrainian? And I have to tell them, well, only Arabic is available, Ukrainian isn't, and um, you can't you can't always find the GCEC in the languages that you speak. I think it's also very very um, emotionally difficult for my Ukrainian students because they have to sit the Russian GCSE. There is no option for them to sit the Ukrainian GCSE. And in the context of the Ukrainian invasion that is reaching its uh, second uh, anniversary, it's um, it's quite difficult for these students to have to do an exam in the language of um, the invader. But they're so clever, my, my Ukrainian students, that they, they just do it and um, they bite the bullet and they do it and I admire their resilience and their courage. But I think we should make a, an, an effort to represent all the languages that are spoken. We have so many students who speak um, other languages, uh, Pashto from Afghanistan, and uh, Cantonese should also be offered. So definitely we need to make more efforts and I can't wait for Somali to be offered in the UK, not just in Wales, because I do have a big Somali community in my school and they would love to 
be able to sit for their GCSE in Somali. So how do we create multilingualism? I'm just bouncing back from the news because it's completely appropriate. Um, we need to encourage uh, GCSEs in other languages than the nine that are offered at the moment. This is an urgent ask that MFL teachers have been asking for many, many years. We were always told that it was too expensive. There wasn't enough data to be able to offer the perfect grading that is necessary. But you know what? With AI, if we can't provide an exam in other languages, I feel like it's just an excuse. We need to ask a Department for Education of call AQA and Pearson at Excel to provide an exam for all the languages that are spoken by our students as a matter of emergency. Now, going back to um, transitions between primary and to secondary and nurturing language learning, we have also talked about the importance of reading. Um, I did say that in a lot of schools, the children who come to year seven are not at the correct reading age. They are below, sometimes two, three years below the reading age. This will have a negative, a nefarious, nefarious influence on their learning throughout their time in secondary school. If you do not read at uh, 11 years old reading age, you will not be able to access the content that is offered in your school. So it's essential that we flag the children in year six who can't read at a, a 10 year old reading age. And over the summer, they should have one-to-one -one private tuition every day, daily, in order for them to catch up and enter year seven with the appropriate reading age for their age group. It is important because we have two aspects when we use um, reading as a means to learn a language. We have the functional aspect and then we have the creative aspect. The functional is being able to um, understand the vocab, being able to identify the tenses used, past, future, conditional, present tense, being able to do some translation work, uh, being able to do tasks such, such as missing words task or uh, changing the verbs to a different tense or um, having a reading comprehension task. That's the functional part of working with a book or a text. And then there's the creative part. And this is the next step. After doing all this functional work, we need to do more about creative work. For instance, we need to... Um, rewrite the text, maybe with a different uh, point of view, different pronoun. Uh, we could um, write the prequel or the following part of the text. We could also um, pretend we're interviewing the character in the, in the text. We could also um, just compare different translations of the text, giving our opinions on it. And we can also do biographical work on the author's life and the author's interest. So when we have a text, we can use it in so many different ways in the language classroom. I think it's really essential we, we use more storybooks. Uh, and to use more storybooks, we need to have libraries in schools. And this is one of my really um, something that really annoys me when I visit a school for my children or for just uh, visiting a school, I realize that 
too many schools do not have a library anymore. School libraries are um, slowly disappearing. And this is a tragedy because we need more school libraries, we need more books, we need better reading and also reading in different languages. And I always check if there is a school library, I always check, do they have books in the languages that they, they are teaching in this school? And too often they have two dictionaries sitting on the shelf, no comic books, no classics, no storybooks from this language. And it's a missed opportunity in my opinion. Um, Susan Graham mentioned a poet uh, that I had never heard of. He's from Cameroon. He's called René Filombé. And uh, she uses his poems in her lessons. So you do know I'm a specialist in decolonizing the curriculum. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at poems written by René Filombé. Um, he was born in 1930 and he passed in 2001, so he's, um, he's been dead for quite a few, two decades. Um, but I'm sure we can include some of his work, some of his poems, in uh, a French lesson. So definitely someone to uh, check out on the internet. Now, um, the three pillars of phonics are what primary school teachers focus on. But what we need to do in the transition between primary and secondary, we need to encourage students to read out loud. And this is something I do when I teach um, French, but also when I teach geography or when I teach history. I always ask students to read out loud and I encourage them to follow what the, someone else is reading with their index finger. And I I have a quite quick turnover when I go from one student to the next and I surprise them and I try and keep them uh, with their attention levels very high. I think it's important to, ring, to read out loud as a skill because it helps you project your voice and we all have to do some public speaking at one point in our lives, whether at work or in social occasions. So reading out loud is a necessary skills in our society. Um, there is a scheme called OLA, O-L-L-A, and it's an online learning for all. If you want to check it out to find resources, it's available online. What we need to think about as teachers is to always be multimodal, using films, using videos, using computer games, educational ones, obviously, using visuals, posters, cards using audio files. So I know all teachers use multimodality in their teaching, but I think we should also um, drill this in primary school so that it eases the transition between primary and secondary. Now, um, I'm always thinking about the learning journey of my students from nursery to um, university, and I always encourage them to keep one language, if not two, their mother tongue, English, and also uh, the language they learn at school. So I looked at how to uh, encourage students to take um, a language as an A-level. And can I just say, it is extremely hard to motivate students to take a language for A-levels, because the emphasis at the moment is on core subjects. Core subjects are English, science, and maths. 
And I see it even in my trust, in my current school, the trust has decided to stop the EBAC. We were doing the EBAC for our students. So there were more subjects to choose from. This has been stopped. And now we have a restriction of our curriculum. Uh, it's becoming a narrowed down to the core subjects, English, maths, and science. And uh, the top sets, the students who are the most able will keep a language, but they will be the only ones doing a language. The others will have to choose between arts, between food tech and a language. So you can see um, it's a national new trend. Less subjects are taught. This is because we have less teachers, but also because we noticed that students are struggling with a lot of subjects. Um, it narrows down the curriculum. It gives them less chances of being creative. And for students who are already struggling with academic learning, giving them mostly maths, English and science might not really make them more motivated. I'm, not, I'm in two minds about that new trend. First, I can see that the arts will have less place. Um, I already noticed that um, drama is completely uh, absent from our new curriculum in my trust, which I think is a, a very sad state of affair. I think drama gives you a lot of skills for public speaking and for social skills, and I think it's a tragedy. Now, what can I do um, as a French teacher in my school to, to palliate this new trend? Well, I can try and promote languages for A-levels. We do not offer A-levels in my school uh, for languages at, at the moment, but I always tell my students to consider it in another sixth form. How do we bridge the GCSE to A-level gap? There is a massive step from GCSE to A-level, and students are very often shocked at how difficult um, A-level is. What can we do as a teacher to support them? Well, we need to acknowledge what they find hard. So what do students find difficult at GCSE level? They will always say speaking is difficult and listening is really hard, which is absolutely natural. I'm learning a fourth language and I'm really struggling. I can do translations when I have a written text. But when people start talking to me in the language, I freeze. I understand one word out of 10 and I open my mouth and no sentence comes out. So I know how it feels. I can empathize with my students. Um, there is also the fear that uh, case five content is more abstract and content specific. So it means when you study a language, for A-level, you're going to talk about very difficult issues that are not maybe some issues that the students are interested in. You're going to talk about politics, uh, the environment, uh, poverty, homelessness, uh, social studies, sociology. This is difficult content and some students are not really interested in the topics. We had the example of an year 12 student who said, I'm being asked to learn about uh, marriage patterns in contemporary Spain. I'm not interested in marriage as a 16 year old. <laughs> so we can see that sometimes the content we are giving to our students is really not adapted to their interests. Grammar is always difficult when students go from GCSE to A-level and also 
those students struggle with their own self-skills of time management and motivation, which is why if you're lucky enough to have a, a few students doing French or Spanish or German for their A-levels, they are very often tempted to drop it at the end of year 12 and focus on only three A-levels for year 13. So what can we do to stop this language deficit from increasing even more? Well, in order to help our students, we need to encourage them to practice their listening. Um, there is one motto in schools, and it's practice, practice, practice. It's always easy to say, but it does work. The more you're immersed in listening to another language, the better you get at it. So I always tell my students, if you're lucky to have uh, access to um, online streaming for movies, watch movies, listen to movies, listen to the news in the language you're learning. Listen, listen, listen. And then confront yourself to the difficulty that speed, pacing represent the issue with linked words and a stream of language where you can't identify the different words. And it's okay to find it difficult at first. It's okay to misunderstand um, the context. It's part of the learning journey. What are the skills to develop if you happen to have A-level students in languages? Well, um, they need to um, increase the input difficulty. So it's, it's all good to give them easy text, but they need to be confronted to literary text. They need to be confronted to uh, authentic documents more and more. We need to challenge our students because they can actually improve when they face difficulty. Listening and reading longer texts is something that we need to nurture as early as possible. Teaching them uh, communication strategies is always essential. And also increasing their um, knowing of low frequency words. In case three and four in secondary school, it's okay to focus on high frequency words. But if we have students who consider doing A-levels, we need to uh, give them more low-frequency words. We need to sharpen their vocabulary knowledge. In order to get to know what the students find difficult at the end of year 12, it's important to listen to children's voices. Um, giving them space to voice their concern is essential. Any teacher should always uh, give, maybe devote one lesson per year to student feedback and ask them, what did you feel about this year's content? What did you feel about um, the way I teach? What strategies worked for you? What didn't? What do you need help with, etc. I think that feedback, giving students voice a space is really, really important. Uh, we need to check um, what the students are saying and we need to um, face what their difficulties are in order to give them the best help. Now, I discovered a great idea when I went to the Oxford conference um, at, organized by the uh, Association for Language Learning. And this was Esther Roberts' idea. Esther Roberts um, decided to do a master's degree and her master's subject was language leaders. So what does she mean by language leaders? She meant to focus on transition and transitioning 
from primary school to secondary school. And her idea is amazing. And I'm going to trial it this year with my year nine. So Esther Roberts wanted to work on motivation and connection so that her students felt engaged in their language learning um, experience. So she works in a mixed local state school. She teaches French and German. And she realized that she had no connection with the primary schools in her area. So in order to do something about this, she contacted um, the primary school. There were 13 primary schools that were linked to her secondary school with six major primary. Um, she, due to time constraints, she could only work with one feeder primary school, but she organized a partnership. And I think this is essential and most secondary schools should definitely organize a language partnership with their primary school. Um, so Esther Roberts set up a weekly meeting of about 30 to 45 minutes. And she um, worked with the primary students. So she had very high expectations. She wanted um, the students to um, discover the importance of being motivated when learning a language. And the way she did it is she asked her year nine students could you consider becoming a language leader? So she only asked for volunteers. It was not a compulsory thing. And out of 140 students that she teaches in year nine, she got approximately 26 or 27 students. There were year nine students who accepted to be language leaders and their um, job was to visit a, the primary school with whom they had a partnership and they would go there and offer a language lesson to primary school students in year six. So it would increase motivation for the year nine students. They would um, come after school, prepare a lesson, prep themselves practice teaching it and then they would go to the primary school and offer the lesson to year six students so i think that it's a it's a brilliant idea the children uh, could also use these hours they spend preparing as their voluntary hours for their duke of edinburgh awards so they had a, an intrinsic motivation to become a language leader but they also had an extrinsic element of motivation because the voluntary work they would do would be recognized. They were free to choose, which encouraged their autonomy. They were free to choose a topic and the activities that they wanted to do. And under uh, the guidance of their teacher, Esther Roberts, they prepared the lesson they wanted, but they were very independent and she only uh, provided them with some resources, but the rest they did it themselves. So as I said, out of 153 students, only 26 volunteered, but that's that's still a whole class, isn't it? 26. So she created nine groups of two to three students and they would have to work together. So there was teamwork, there was voluntary work, and there was obviously um, time and effort because they had to come after school to prepare. The students would have uh, three sessions after school and they would have to plan and rehearse. 
And each student taught two to three sessions over one term. So they were quite involved. Um, because it was her master's degree, Esther Roberts had to organize focus group interviews before, after the lesson and at the end of her project and speak with the volunteers. But that was more for collecting data. She noticed that the benefits were huge. First, she created a sense of local community which is all about relatedness. The year nine students visited some primary school that they might not have attended themselves and they created connection with other students in year six. Some of the year six students were really scared of going to big school. So the year nine students said, don't worry if I see you, I'll say hi and you will already know some familiar faces. So that's great social skills. Um, the year nines, uh, were obviously visiting the year six students, so they became good role models for languages. Oh, look, I'm in year nine and I'm studying a language and I'm so good at it that I can teach you. So it gave a big boost of self-esteem to the year nine students and it encouraged the year six students to look forward to learning um, their language at secondary school. It nurtured a passion for languages. It made transition easier for the year six students. It made the year nine students more autonomous in their learning because they had to make sure they learned their vocabulary well enough to teach it. Um, for the teacher's side now, the teachers in primary school had meetings with Esther Roberts and she shared resources with them. So it created um, an, an opportunity to have CPDs with other primary school teachers. It nurtured um, the idea of volunteering, which is something that we should all strive to do in our lives, whether as adults or, or as children. The year nine volunteers had to develop their IT skills. They had to create PowerPoints. They had to uh, use accentuation um, and not just um, rely on the teacher for that. So it was good for them as well in their learning. The year nine stu students realized they had to improve their pronunciation, so they made more efforts in learning the pronunciation, which is essential for their GCSEs later on. And Esther Roberts described the fact that it empowered shy students. There was a student that she really um, worried about because it was a student who was really, really quiet in class. But that student volunteered to speak and to teach. So when she visited the school uh, before the lesson, um, Esther Roberts realized that this child had been to that primary school and this ch child had been um, taking speech therapy sessions because she struggled with her English speaking. But three years down the line, this particular child volunteered to do work and she managed to teach a whole class of year six some language um, vocabulary. So it's an amazing achievement. And Esther Roberts would never have heard about this because there's not enough sharing of information between primary and secondary school. So via her project of language leaders, Esther Roberts managed to get more knowledge, personal knowledge of her own year nine students. So huge benefits all in all with that um, transition work. What was difficult was that obviously um, Esther Roberts had to take time uh, from her teaching 
after school, so extra time she had to give to her students. The students were volunteers, so they were already motivated students who already liked uh, the language. And um, you needed permission from parents and from SLT in both primary and secondary schools. So you had a bit of admin and safeguarding to do, but that's normal and that's to be expected. So we can see that it was an amazing project that Esther Roberts developed uh, for her uh, language leaders. It's been called in different ways. You have Roots into Languages project, you have student ambassadors, you have study days. There's lots of successful projects to increase motivation in learning a language. But what we need to remember is that when we uh, organize something like this, we create links between primary and secondary, and we are nurturing our community. So I really want to praise Esther Roberts' uh, work for the um, language leaders. And I'm going to trial it in my school because I think it's amazing. And it's something we should maybe trial on a national a level in all schools if we want to engage our learners at all phases of their language learning journey from primary all the way to hopefully um, GCSE and maybe perhaps for A-levels. So I'm just going to play the news, uh, dear listeners, and we'll wrap up uh, today's show afterwards. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. We have featured the issue of overseas students applying to UK universities a number of times on Teachers Talk Radio News. This year's application figures have recently been released. An analysis by the BBC shows the numbers are up for the second year in a row. The latest data shows over 115,000 students from outside the UK have applied, up almost 1,000 on last year. The rise comes despite tougher government rules to help reduce migration. It also follows accusations that universities have lowered standards to recruit overseas students, who can be charged more than students from the UK. 
Despite the rise, the number remains below pre-pandemic levels. UCAS Chief Executive Dr Joe Saxton said UK applications have also risen in recent years. However, Vivian Stern, Chief Executive of Universities UK, said the figures did not tell the whole story, as applications do not always translate into enrolments. She said that any future fall in enrolments could make it more difficult for universities to offer places to home students due to the financial impact. Ms Stern went on to explain that UK universities may be less appealing to overseas students due to policy changes around bringing family, competition from universities in the US and Australia and unhelpful government rhetoric. Full details of the story can be found on the BBC News website. The Mathematical Association's Twitter feed draws attention to changes announced by government on maths and English condition of funding for 16 to 19 year old learners. The changes, which can be found on the government website, include minimum teaching hours for full-time students, saying that they should be three hours per week for English and four hours per week for maths. It also states this should be standalone, whole class, in-person teaching. The extra hour reflects the existing expectation should be prioritised to ensure students receive a standard number of taught hours. Compliance will be measured for the academic year 2025 to 26. Full details of the impact on funding and other changes can be found on www.gov.uk. The post on Twitter did prompt renewed concerns about maths teacher recruitment and timetabling issues. FE Week also featured a story on the changes, calling them unworkable and a backward step. Wales Online features a story about languages teaching and qualifications, but not in the way you might expect. Whilst the Welsh National Party have long campaigned for increasing Welsh language teaching, members of the Wales Somaliland community are urging the Welsh Government to include a GCSE in Somali language in the new Welsh curriculum. The community is writing to Education Minister Jeremy Miles to explain the importance of this to the 15,000 strong Somaliland community, saying it is important for young people to recognise and gain qualifications in their language and heritage. Community activist Ali Abdi said it was important that the large number of Somali pupils studying Welsh secondary schools learned their mother tongue and be recognised for their linguistic and cultural heritage. According to Mr Abdi, introducing a Somali GCSE aligns with the Welsh Government's commitment to diversity, equality and social justice. Finally, the BBC reports on research which has examined children's attitudes towards the monarchy. The outcome of the research suggests more support for the royals among state schools than in private ones. The study by King's College London found 66% of children in state schools aged 6 to 12 had a positive view of the monarchy, compared with 56% in private. It also found higher levels of support among children than among teens and young adults. The findings were based on questions for 2,000 pupils across 200 schools. The findings on primary school children in England, Scotland and Wales were in stark contrast to the views of young adults, with a YouGov twice yearly poll showing only 27% of 18 to 24 year olds saw the monarchy as good for Britain. The researchers said the primary children responding to questions around the monarchy had said it made them feel happy, 
excited or proud. Researchers could not explain the difference between state and private, but suggested it could reflect higher levels of international pupils in the private school sample, meaning they could have less of a connection to the British royal family. Further details of the research and its findings, as well as comparisons with other studies, can be found on the BBC News website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Thank you for listening to the news, dear uh, listeners. So we were talking about engaging learners at all phases of their language learning journey. And I have some tips in case you want to encourage your child or your student to do more to learn their language. So we have a few interesting um, projects. We have the Anthea Bell Prize. It's a workshop that is available for um, younger people. Um, you can ask um, your students to do a task. It's available on the Anthea Bell Prize website. And there is uh, 15,100 pupils who were involved last year. There's an international book club for students. Lots of information available on the website if you want to encourage your students to try their hands at translating. At um, Queen's College in Oxford, there is Charlotte Ryland, who is working really really hard on promoting a translation ambassador program. So it's it's just simple that we realize that translation uh, is very is a very useful skill and a translation work workshop is offered to schools or to um, individuals if they want to in order to uh, train the students in decoding, translating and creating. So this is to create a multilingual space. Um, they use, uh, even for primary school, they use a monster. So every child has to draw a monster. And uh, the monster is obviously labeled in all the languages that the child uh, speaks. So this labeling the word monster in different languages encourages the children to feel that their language, their mother tongue is valued. So these uh, translation workshops are available. If you want more information, just go on the Queen's College Oxford website where you can find more information about inviting a host who is going to do a translation ambassador workshop. There is really a lot of competitions available online. Please introduce your students to the competition. If you don't have time, just set it up as homework because the more we practice, the more we feel um, that our skills are being used outside school. And um, this encourages our students to try a little bit harder and not just do the bare minimum, but also expand, uh, extend their knowledge and perhaps nurture a lot for language learning. So it's um, time for me to celebrate um, doing my 60th um, Teacher's Talk Radio show. I'm going to celebrate tonight. I hope uh, you can uh, join me by raising your glass, whether it's a cup of tea or something a little bit more decadent. In the meantime, I wish you a lovely week and I look forward to speaking with you next Sunday at 5. Thank you, Chuck, for liking the show and thank you, dear listeners. Have a lovely end of the weekend. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. 
Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.